My name is J.A. Costa, and you are listening to Popcorn Peeps, a podcast in which we venture through the top 100 movies of all time, according to Hollywood Reporter, and give our thoughts along the way. This is episode two, featuring the 1967 classic, Bonnie and Clyde, directed by Arthur Penn, featuring Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Today, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Sarah Alexander. Hey, Jordan. Craig Moore. Hi, Jordan. And Chris McMullen. Hey, y'all. Nice of you to join us this week, Craig. We appreciate it. Welcome back. Welcome to the party. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I might only be doing 99 movies unless I can get my way all the way back to re-watching, or I guess pre-watching, the movie I skipped. No, you skipped on the your best own. movie because Bonnie and Clyde is <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And it is way better than Seven Samurai. Yeah. I, I would agree. That's a fact? Oh, that is a hard fact. Well, I guess there's a reason it was last on the list. Yeah, we're only up one spot, though, so this sets great expectations for 98, I guess, through one. Yes. So what did you guys think? Uh, I kind of wanted to go into the history, not of the Bonnie and Clyde story, I think that's been hashed out, but of the film industry up until the point and kind of why this movie was such a big deal. So I mentioned it last week or last episode that Hollywood had implemented this Hayes Code about what could be shown in movies. That's because in the 20s and early 30s, Hollywood was very scandalous drug overdoses, rapes, murders. So they were really trying to clean up their act and they implemented a whole bunch of things that couldn't be shown in movies. And so some of the items were no nudity, even silhouettes, no suggestive dances, no superfluous use of liquor, um, no misend... I'm going to butcher this word, miscegenation, which is any relationships between different races, no lustful kissing, no scenes of passion. Like it was very clean cut. Well, they certainly ruined that with the first scene of the film because Bonnie looking hotter than the surface of the fucking sun. Jordan. My God. Smash. Jordan. <laughs> yeah, I was very conflicted because I'm used to her in like movies 30 years later. Right. Like, wow. I saw a picture of modern day Faye Dunaway and she had a bunch of plastic surgery done mid 2000s and she looks like a cracked out duck. It's a bit tighter. Uh-huh. Yeah, a bit tighter look. Time has not been kind to her, but this first scene was spicy. So my first impression of the movie, the first scene I saw that really had an effect on me was the Warner Brothers logo, and I immediately started going, when Jordan doesn't get that joke because he never watched Looney Tunes. I did watch Looney Tunes. They reran on Teletoon Classic all throughout my youth. <laughs> uh, Teletoon Classic. Oh my I God. hate when things from my childhood are classic. <laughs> my gray whiskers are killing me. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Sorry, go ahead. No, so that was basically it, is that now directors had more freedom because before the studios decided what movies they would put out and the direction behind it. So now people were allowed to kind of take things into their own hands and show the type of art that they wanted to without any censorship. So this movie kind of put the nail in the coffin for that Hayes Code because, yeah, they went to town. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really controversial. I was doing a little bit of research and this. It was a huge display of violence for the time with blood and all of the gunfighting and whatnot. Critics were kind of, um, they didn't know what to think of it at first. It got a few mixed reviews when it first released, and there was positive reception at the time too, but as the audiences showed that they really liked it, critics kind of changed their tune. I don't know if it's because they felt outnumbered, but it won a ton of awards, including Academy Awards at the time too, and really really took off. One of the other um, rules that they couldn't show was you couldn't show any sympathy towards lawbreakers or glamorized crime in any way, which is a big component of this whole oh, movie. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, that's the whole thing. Yeah. 
specifically with the sympathy towards criminals, that was a huge part of this movie. Like, I mean, spoiler warning for a 50-year-old movie. No, 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 no. We're This is a spoiler cast. We're spoiling the whole thing. No need, no need <laughs> like, for a spoiler warning. A guy gets shot in the face and you feel bad for Clyde. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is not That's very true. true. <laughs> Clyde is a shithead. Oh, I like Clyde. I liked Clyde, too. No, Clyde, Clyde is an asshole. Bonnie's the main character, and she's almost a victim to Clyde's lies and his false promises at the beginning of the film. He promises her this life of grandeur, of fancy dinners and silk dresses, and she never gets that. She states at the end of the movie that we never got to where we're going. We're just going, and that's all Clyde ever wanted in the first place. He just fed her whatever she wanted to hear so he would she would go along with him. They never reached a conclusion. Their whole life was running, and he knew that, but he he told her there would be an end to it. That's interesting. I felt like Clyde was sharing what he thought his goals were and where he wanted to go, and he just never got there. That's what I got, too. I think that they were both naive in different ways. He thought he could do his life a crime and then actually settle down. I don't think he was being dishonest with her. I think he was deluded. Yeah. And she was naive because she actually believed that. Have your cake and eat it too. These... No, I pulled the quote out. Bonnie says, I thought we were really going somewhere, but we were just going. That's what I'm saying. She's naive. Mm -hmm. Further emphasized in the later half of the film when they're laying in bed and Bonnie asks, what would you do differently? Yeah. And Bonnie's thinking, oh, we would have never started this. Right. We wouldn't be criminals. We would just do something mundane together and we would share our love and live out our lives. And Clyde makes comments about how he would do his heist differently, yeah, but he wouldn't he change the a, picture. He won't pull jobs out of state. Yeah, because mm -hmm. that's yeah. who he is. Yeah, you know what, Jordan? You, you, you've sold me on that there. It's like he looks back and he doesn't recognize that he had made wrong choices overall. He just felt like, oh, there was just a couple of weird things that didn't go my way. But overall, this is a pretty good go. Mm -hmm. Does he? Could he ever envision another way for himself, though? Like, maybe that's the... Yeah, it could be. He is true to his introduction in the first scene where he's trying to steal Bonnie's mom's car. Yeah. yeah. And he carries that right out through to the end. So, I mean... Yeah. Bonnie shouldn't have expected more of Clyde. She was kind of hoping maybe she could change him or he would evolve and become a different person and mature. But he was just he was just classic Clyde throughout the entire thing. Exactly. So, I mean, and that's what I'm talking about. She's she was naive from day one. Two weeks in, she must have realized that yeah. the stuff he was saying was never going to happen. She was naive day herself. one. You're running off with someone who shows up stealing your mom's car. Right. Right. Red flag. I, I don't, so I think she just yeah, bought yeah. into the dream because she it's not like she had anything going for her really either. It's so like, yeah, this life does sound glamorous and fun. So I loved the setup for Bonnie. Clyde basically just, he just lays it out with his silver tongue. You're stuck here. You have no way out. You're going to be here until the day you die, serving coffee and sleeping with passerbys. Mm -hmm. And you're never going to make anything out of yourself. You're just going to be mundane and bored for the rest of your life. Unless you take this opportunity with me, unless you take this risk and this leap of faith and we go out and we pave this path for ourselves and i thought that was a great incentive for bonnie to get on this ride and you know that she's she's hesitant but she falls for it hook line and sinker and gets caught up in this yeah. whole mess i think i thought it was interesting that he was really hyped up and excited as he was building his legend but then once his legend caught up with him he started getting angry about well we didn't even do that job and we're getting pinned for stuff we aren't even doing but buddy just like two weeks ago you were all excited about how they thought you were the baddest cowboys in the wild west right 
he read his own press a little bit too much. And that kind of plays into mm-hmm. it in the film where they're sending their story to the newspaper reporters to try and amp up their story, write their own narrative. Uh, they want to be remembered. Clyde says this this is his legacy. This is what he wants to be remembered for. It's almost like he's scared of living his entire life and that's the end of it. He, want, he wanted to be remembered for a long, long time and this was his way of doing that. Did they actually write a poem to the newspaper? Do they, we know? I read this. They did not actually send it to uh-huh. the press. It was actually sent by by Bonnie's mother well after their death, but they did write a lot of poems and a lot of stories about what they did. Interesting. It was actually, they, the police or FBI or whatever found it in one of their makeshift hideouts mm, in yep. Joplin, Missouri. And that's how they pieced together a lot of the pieces of this puzzle. That's where they found a lot of the undeveloped photographs that they took when they first met Buck, when they were smoking the cigars and holding the Tommy guns in front of the old car and the hideout they had at that time. The thing I think is awesome is it's not like they compressed it, but it's not that far from the truth. There were two surviving members that were alive when this film showed. The events themselves took place in the 1930s during the Great Depression, but the film was released in the 60s. And the getaway driver and the mechanic, his real name was W.D. Jones, mm-hmm. but he in the film yep. he's referred to as C.W. Moss, as well as... Blanche. And so those were the only two survivors. And C.W. Moss, the the character or whatever, the real life incarnation of him, was so appalled by the way they showed the film. He said the only thing that was accurate was the gunfights. And it was scary as hell, but the rest of it was just romanticized in a way. Well, I mean, it is cinema. Mm. Yeah. And I read that Blanche was really upset with how she was portrayed, which is 100% fair. She signed off on early scripts, but they've made a couple revisions. And she was particularly unhappy with the actress's portrayal of Blanche. She was pretty hysterical. The film made me look like a screaming horse's ass. I would like to quote my wife who said this exact I wrote this down when she said it because I thought it was hilarious. Blanche is the worst character. Oh my god, just fucking shoot her. I felt the same. <laughs> Before we move on to the secondary characters, what's the consensus? Do we think Bonnie and Clyde were in this film specifically, not in real life? Do we think they were good people or did they deserve what came to them in the end? Uh, no. No. Uh, so I felt sympathy for them in that, well, there was a couple of reasons. First of all, Clyde kind of alluded to some of the shit that he had to go through in prison. And mm-hmm. prison in the 20s and 30s wasn't exactly a great place to be. I mean, it's still not a great place to be. I'm not recommending anyone <laughs> check themselves out. now it's but great. Like, free rent, boys. <laughs> let's now. go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So, you know, his disdain for law and order, his, you know, fine, we'll just break the law. You can't make it doing an honest day's work anyways. And it's the 30s, so that's pretty much true. I can understand, well, I can't get a job because I'm missing toes on my foot and I can't walk properly, so I might as well just go rob a bank. Yo, 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 okay. Clyde thought that showing off your feet was a viable strategy in the 30s, but that wasn't even possible until 2015. Yeah. Before, like, foot pics on OnlyFans became Now that's a career. He was ahead of the curve by like 80 years. <laughs> exactly. I don't think they were good or bad. Yeah. I think that they were a product of their time. And you, you saw that a lot too, because like the, we saw the people who had lost their the bank had foreclosed on them. We saw that once and how like he actually empowered them to take some closure by shooting up the place. I thought that was pretty awesome. And then again, when they were in that little caravan of, I think you said the best nomadic people that helped them out. Those people have literally like lost everything because of the crash. There's no jobs for them. It's bread lines or survival living. 
in the one bank scene, the guy was, is withdrawing his own money. It's on the counter, and he asks him, Clyde asks him, he's like, is that your money or is that the bank? And he says, it's mine, and Clyde's like, okay, take it. Yeah. Like, to me, they're a little slightly worse Robin Hood kind of story. Like, that is an awful time to be living. There's not really any prospects for them, and they are trying to work with what they can, so to speak. Yeah. I loved that scene where they were at that old, their first kind of hideaway and the owners come up to the farm and Clyde says, hey, you're suffering just like the rest of us. Take a shot. And he and his, I don't know if yeah, you call that an assistant yeah, that or like great. a helper or whatever, takes a shot at the window. And I thought that was that was a nice kind of like stick it to the man moment before things really get off the rails with Bunny and Clyde's adventure. One of the scenes I really loved was that the first bank he tried to rob and the guy just said, I have no money. Yeah, and that was a real thing in the, in the 30s where people just withdrew all their money from the bank and got whatever they could. And the bank just closed with no money. I love that scene. And I think it's really important for establishing Clyde's character. He portrays himself in such an arrogant, suave manner. He says, I'm not just great. I'm the best. But when he goes to rob that first bank, his hand is shaking more than Cardi B's backside in that WAP video. <laughs> and you can tell he is scared shitless. That's great. That, that reference is going to age really well. <laughs> Start at number one. And then he, he follows it up by trying to rob the convenience store and almost getting his hand chopped off by the, yeah. the angry clerk. I like that he drags the teller of that bank out and he's like, okay, well, you have to tell my girlfriend that you have no money then. I don't want to tell her that. <laughs> yeah. You're going to make me look like a punk in front of her? No, yeah. no, no. <laughs> the other thing with the the guy in the grocery store is how indignant he was. Like, I just wanted to take some that? money. Why did he Why did he try and kill me? Like, yeah. I thought he was the victim in that exchange. Yeah. That's just classic psychopath. Though. Like, he made me kill him. Why, why did you make me do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had no sympathy for Clyde. Clyde was asking for trouble since the very beginning. I felt a lot of sympathy for Bonnie because she was fed that lie. She got wrapped up in it and she really wanted out, but she knew there was no way out and she got her just desserts in the end, but you can't help but feeling that if she were to get off scot-free, she wouldn't cause a lick of trouble for the rest of her days. Like, she knew she had made a mistake and so i feel a lot of sympathy for her but clyde's an asshole and he's dressing like han solo well i don't know is han solo dressing like him he dressed like han solo for half of the film yeah but han solo didn't exist for another the 10 time. years <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh whoa, whoa, whoa. okay yo is is that just an homage to bonnie there and Clyde? you go is that why han solo looks like the way he does holy shit did mm -hmm. we just decipher like 60 years of cinema <laughs> oh big brain holy shit <laughs> i big think we brain. did I'm breaking George down Lucas barriers stole here. stole his most popular character nice. from Bonnie and Clyde. Jordan Costa, the next Robert Ebert. You heard it here <laughs> first, folks. Is that the one with the brain tumor? <laughs> I, I did want to say there was one cut. So there was two scenes that I felt it was very disjointed between them. So they steal that car and then they pick up the undertaker and his girlfriend. And that scene ends. It feels, you know, everyone's having a good time. They're eating hamburgers, whatever. It's, to it's the weirdest hostage situation you've ever seen in your life. Life. and then the scene it feels like it's like a hard cut and then we're chasing bonnie through a cornfield it felt so disjointed and out of it almost felt like the scenes were cut out of sequence mm. or yeah something. that was not great i read online that the story is supposed to tell uh the sequence of 21 months so obviously there was a big time skip there but i think the director and the whole the whole team producing the movie did a really bad job of keeping that big odyssey cohesive because of moments like that where yeah things do feel really disjointed like did that happen the next day or was it two months later Right. Yeah, it certainly felt like it was 12 hours later. Yeah, and if you didn't know this took place over almost two years, you'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Like, why is Bonnie just throwing this fit out of nowhere? Yeah. 
Like, we were just having hamburgers with Willy Wonka, and now she's screaming in the middle of a cornfield. <laughs> what the fuck is happening? So speaking of the, the side characters, did you guys enjoy any of their interactions or their contributions to the film? We had three really notable ones. We had C.W. Moss, Blanche, as well as her husband, Buck. I really liked CW. I wondered if maybe, because there's a couple interactions with them where, uh, like, is he in love with her? It seemed like it, but I don't know how. I, so, okay, obviously we need to critique the movie based on the movie. I feel like that maybe was one of the things that the person who survived, the actual guy, uh, was probably looking at it like, what the hell? There was no love triangle. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. But I, I definitely yeah. got that vibe. And then he had that, tattoo. He had that <laughs> wicked tattoo. Yeah, I think he was very much infatuated with her. Yes, that tattoo was bitchin'. Oh, it was so good. And I get it. I have a tattoo right here, and I wear my shirts open as much as I can. <laughs> Are you going to get a tat like that and cover it up for the rest of your life? Please. I really liked uh, CW. I like how they integrated him into the film's conclusion. I thought he was really underdeveloped until maybe the last third of the film where they brought in his father and they made that deal with the police to catch Bonnie and Clyde and he was going to make sure that he wasn't there and they provided all the information or whatever as to where they were going to be to pick him up. And I thought that was really great and that really weaved him into the story really well. But man, I agree with your wife. Blanche was so obnoxious. She was praised as a supporting character, but too screechy, too loud. We're supposed to hate her, right? And that's why I think she got the best supporting actress. I don't hate her because of anything she's done in the film or her contributions to... She's uh, awful, though. ...developing the story. She's just a pain in the ass. Exactly. And she also is a narc. Yeah, that's true. I loved that she got her just desserts. She's looking for sympathy after she's been hurt. She's got the bandages on her head and she's talking with the Texas Ranger, spilling her story, spilling the beans, looking for some sort of sympathy. And as soon as the Ranger gets what he wants, he slams the door on her See when ya. she's in that, that prison crying and she gets exactly what's coming to her. Especially because she did almost nothing and then weasels her way into getting a cut because Clyde feels bad for her. But I don't know that she purposely did nothing. Like she was kind of brought onto this more so then Bonnie was like Bonnie actively went with Clyde she's just with her husband who I don't know if Buck had a history of robbing banks either and they go to visit his brother and next thing you know you're in a shootout like it's yeah I believe Buck was an escaped convict oh god uh, he escaped, went back, and then got pardoned. Ah. Yeah, but I mean, she had enough options to leave, and she could have pled the fifth or stayed in the background and said, I don't want anything to do with this. But when she saw Benjamin's uh, on the table, she said, hey, I need my cut. I'm involved in this now. I'm taking just as much risk as you are. And then she really thrust herself into the crosshairs. Mm-hmm. But then proceeded to also contribute nothing to the team. Yeah, which is why yeah. I think she's annoying as hell. I have the thought that if you're in the car during the crime, you get a cut. Yeah, sure. But I mean, the most valuable thing she did for the entire group was went and fetched them fried chicken. And that's what got them in trouble because somebody saw CW's gun. Yeah. I did make a note of this. I, I, made, I made a note of this. So I was a little bit confused how a guy in the southern United States carrying a pistol in the 30s is enough for some guy at a chicken joint to call the police. I thought that too. I don't think that guns were as prevalent back then, just because of the cost. Oh. Are you going to call 911 because someone has a gun? Like, yeah. yeah really? It didn't, it's it the didn't... States. It's Missouri. It, it's 1933. It's not like it is now. Like, those open carry laws are recent, like in the last 40 years or something. Seeing someone in a gun, with a gun back then, you would assume they were a ne'er-do-well. That's oh, true. I mean, it was the 30s. Everyone was a ne'er-do-well. There was five guys working for every 300 jobs robbing them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if you're going to have any sort of sympathy for any of the characters, the fact that it took place during the Great Depression is an important yeah. factor to consider because, again, we talked about the farmer family that had nothing and they lived as traveling, essentially traveling homeless people, um, nomads with nothing. Mm-hmm. And so maybe if Clyde didn't start robbing banks, he would be in the same boat and just starve to death months later. But Mm-hmm. Just a little bit to expand on the guy calling the police. And let's suppose, yes, seeing a guy with a pistol is enough to call the police. Just scenes that seem disjointed again where guy calls the sheriff and it seems like the entire state troopers show up with a tank and machine guns to investigate guy with pistol in waistband. When you have a budget for a tank and you're directing a film, <laughs> you slap that tank in there. I love that tank. If you don't spend that money, someone's taking it. It just seemed disjointed. Like maybe someone should have, I don't know, maybe, yeah, we saw this and we thought they were going your way in the Texas range. I don't know. There needs to be, for me, a way to explain why 40 men with machine guns showed up because someone saw a guy with a pistol in his waistband in Missouri. So I can explain it. The director was not good at showing time passing. It's that simple. They would have been notorious by the time that that tank showed up and the passage of time was not well illustrated. And so I think that's something that may be lost. In GTA terms, we went from two stars to five stars. (laughs) No time flat. (laughs) I have no idea what that means. So in GTA, you just cause ruckus. It stands for Grand Theft Auto. And as you steal cars, your wanted meter goes up. And by the time you hit level five wanted, there's like fucking tanks and police cars and attack helicopters coming after you. That sounds excellent. Okay, I get it. I do know what GTA is. It's okay. You seem confused. I figure I give you as much context. I didn't know the star thing. (laughs) I... Dude, I played the top-down GTA 2. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's an old game. It was one of the best. Uh, So I did want to know, with CW, I actually, I felt a little bit of empathy with him when he saw Bonnie and Clyde pull away and he thought that they had gotten away from the police. Now, as someone who who knew how the story ended ahead of time, it felt very, like, I felt bad for him because he thought his buddies got away and ha ha ha, they'll never catch them. But I'm sitting there going like, ah, yeah, the best is yet to come, pal. Wait a second. What do you mean the best is yet to come? The main character died. No, but, but he, did, he no. didn't think his buddies were going to get caught. He thought they were infallible and they were going to get out and there was going to be no issues. And the, the police couldn't even possibly think of catching Clyde. He's, exactly. He's aloof. Yeah. He's a sleuth. He's, he's not going to fall into some stupid trap. To CW, he thought his buddies were got away scot-free. Ha ha, you'll never catch them, coppers. But 20 minutes later, they got shot to hell. Yeah, his dad didn't fill him in. And that was the plan all along. Yeah. Kind of felt bad for him at that point. Totally. I don't know. They're, I all, know. they're all a little sus. Snitches get stitches. Moving into audio design, I thought the soundtrack for this movie played into it amazingly. I loved that the film started with these happy-go-lucky banjos. Everything was really funny and slapstick. And that's fine because it really matches the theme of the film during the first half where everything's comedic, they're having fun, they're laughing as they're robbing these banks and killing people. But, but it's done in such a comedic way that everything melds really well together. But as the film goes on and everything starts to implode for Bonnie and Clyde and as things get really real and really serious and they're getting shot at, they're getting hurt they're losing members of their party that same slapstick banjo continues to play and as cohesion between the 
the film's music and its first half start to separate, it becomes almost ironic in a sense as the slapstick banjo juxtaposes the incredibly serious nature of what's transpiring on screen. And I thought that was a great way to symbolize kind of the unraveling of the entire gang and the scheme and symbolize the end for them. Yeah, so I'm going to agree with you. Absolutely. I thought the choice for the soundtrack was really well done. I also thought that you used the word juxtaposes incredibly well as part of your description. (laughs) You don't give me enough credit. I'm giving you the credit right now. It was good. (laughs) I'm a film enthusiast. I've seen Seven Samurai. He's seen two (laughs) movies. (laughs) I've seen two movies. (laughs) I liked the sound um, in the sense that they had lots of periods of silence. And then they would cut it with something really loud after. So I think it just brought that out more like at the end when they're driving, it's relatively quiet when they're pulled over to help the dad with the wheel at the end. It's just all silent. And then you just hear the birds and then you... Yeah see the guns go like it just made everything pop a bit more I think when you cut it that way especially towards the end when they were in a lot of trouble and just it went from calm to we're under fire and just yeah uh, the contrast between silent cruising along and all of a sudden oh my god our world is ending and that sound bombards you and it surprises you and that mimics what Bonnie and Clyde would have felt going about their day and then realizing oh god this is bad I thought the gun noise in this movie was especially loud and I don't know if that is Maybe I just haven't watched anything in a while that had guns or if they it's because they had those periods of silence that it seemed extra loud when I did hear it, but I had to turn my volume down. Yeah, especially for film in a time where, you know, not every movie you had aliens with laser guns shooting the planet from orbit <laughs> and there was like 8,000 World War II movies every four months that when a guy shoots a gun in a movie it should matter. Yeah. So when they use the audio like that and it scares you, it makes you jump and you go, holy shit, that guy actually just got shot in the face. Like, it's a big deal. The first time I saw that guy get shot in the head, I just literally said, oh God. Same. Like, yeah, same. That's the first real turn, isn't it? When it actually gets really bloody. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Had the butcher scene happened yet? Yeah, it had happened prior. So do you guys want to move on to some of your favorite moments of the film? I really liked the scenes with Gene Wilder. I thought they were really well done and he was really shining in them, so to say, like he was very funny. And I I don't know how far along, if his career would have really have started at this point or if he was well known or if this was kind of one of his first roles, but I thought he was great. I love that. And I had only seen Young Frankenstein, which is also on our list, earlier in the year for the first time. And I'm like, holy man, it's that guy. I was taken by surprise and he and his wife, or I guess girlfriend at the time, Velma. They were funny together. Their dynamic was really funny, especially when Velma reveals that she's 33 years old. Yeah, and his face. face is like, he's appalled. He's like, no. Oh, I love that. I actually wrote down the step on it, Velma. That yes. was brilliant. <laughs> that was really good. I love those. I love it too. How about you, Chris? What was your favorite moment in the film? So I love the whole movie, but if I'm going to think of like the photographic cinematic thing that stuck out the most to me was when CW, they're at the picnic with with her family and like the whole thing is shot in a softer focus than the rest of the film. Yeah. And he's just standing on the top of that mound of dirt in the quarry with the shotgun. And they went back to it a couple times. That for me is like one of the images that just sticks with me. It looked almost dusty or like yeah. the picture at that point, like the, from the sand kicking up or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they actually put Vaseline on the lens. Really? That, that's a, that's a, Yeah, that's a thing you can do to make it the focus softer. I had a few parts that I actually really, really liked. The first one that I absolutely loved was when Bonnie screamed, shut up at Blanche. Because I was like, <laughs> we were that all thinking is it. <laughs> all of us. You know what? The first time I saw this, I absolutely hated Blanche. In fact, even in this notes, I wrote Blanche is a nightmare. 
there's something like she's almost like the barometer for how normal people would react in that situation. That's a really good point. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Like, okay, I'm sorry, Craig, don't take this personally. I see you as a Blanche. If we did a Bonnie and Clyde, you would be Blanche. <laughs> Jordan and I would be the Bonnie and Clyde. Craig's scared to eat large food because he might choke on it. He is a yeah. 100% Blanche. He's yeah. a Blanche. Maybe, but I would hate myself and I'd probably tell myself to shut up. Yeah. Well, maybe she <laughs> did too. But yeah, she's like the everyman. Yeah. Right? Like this, it's utter insanity happening around her. And she has actually the real response. I just wish the octave that she screamed at was lower. Sure. But yeah, I get her panic. 100% agree. I wanted to say it took almost an hour to get into the movie to actually become crooks. That was a slow burn. I loved the opening. I had made a joke about how Seven Samurai took an hour oh, to get Oh, you didn't it, watch Seven Samurai. Yeah, you right don't know there. slow burn. <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. Your barometer is not tuned the same way as the rest of ours. All right, I, I accept that. This was fast fucking pace. We are breakneck speed. This wasn't even two hours. I guess I'm supposed to be talking about things that I loved in the movie. I thought that the stunt driving for the 60s was incredibly good, especially in those old vehicles. Uh, it was super dangerous, and they did a great job doing a lot of the driving. And I thought that it was very, would you say, uh, brave at that time to have such a, in capitalist America, bank rob you kind of tone. It wasn't the 50s, but the, it's still in the Cold War, and we're afraid of the Soviet coming and taking over all our freedoms and the director and producers and the scriptwriter had the balls to say yeah the bank fucked these people i thought that was pretty brave yeah i agree oh you guys are gonna hit me upside the head but my favorite part of the film was at the end before they get caught and clyde has that pair of sunglasses with one lens in it one pitch black lens and one missing lens and i said to myself damn this is the closest this list is gonna get to pirates of the caribbean <laughs> That looked like such an eye patch. Jordan. What is it with you and pirates? He loves love it. that movie. First of all, it's a great movie. No, he looked like a damn pirate. And I'm like, yo ho, mateys. Oh, he's like, oh, this is I, where Clyde's my favorite character now. <laughs> no. no, Bonnie is my favorite character. But if Clyde's starting to look like Han Solo and Johnny Depp as a pirate, I'm into it. I googled what was going on in 1967 when this came out, so it was right when all the protests were happening against the Vietnam War as well. So it would have been a very tumultuous time and these young disenchanted people would be going to the movies and seeing this and maybe something that they can sympathize with. I love Clyde. Like when I look at like who the eye guy is in the movie, for me it's Clyde. Clyde is a wannabe James Bond who fails in every regard. He's a shithead and asshole and he got exactly what was coming to him. I liked Clyde. I liked him a lot. I wanted to say, I thought that the actor did a great job with Clyde. He Even to the point where when he was jogging, he was limping on his one foot because he was supposed mm -hmm. to be a guy with his toes cut off. Mm -hmm. I thought that was incredibly good. He's an amazing actor. Like, I know you probably, oh my God, you guys haven't even seen him as Dick Tracy. I've seen that. My grandma is a big Warren Beatty fan. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the really interesting, ironic part of him being like, I almost got an asexual vibe from him. Yeah. I have a, a little bit of truth. Oh, yeah, I know the truth, but you lay it down. Apparently, people who knew the original Clyde said, oh, no, 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 he certainly was not gay. He was bi. Really? That's not, I mean, that's maybe the vibe you could get from the film, but from real life reports, people said he, he was not. No, no, I do a little Google on his sexuality. Yeah, but would they really have, back in the 1930s, would they really have ever said that he was? Maybe. 
I mean, no. <laughs> so Shakespeare was supposedly laying down some pipe with some other dudes whenever he was uh, popular. So yeah, but he was an artsy type. It's different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got the kind of asexual vibe from him too. Or like he just just wasn't a focus for him. I, yeah, that's true. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic because I viewed him as like almost like a James Bond style character. James Bond is going around and fraternizing with the ladies and um, getting into promiscuous situations, whereas this guy was almost the polar opposite and was very he- scared and hesitant. At first, I thought it was because he was worried about getting Bonnie involved with his life of crime. He didn't want to get her attached to him and he didn't want to drag her down because he gives her that moment the first time he refuses to sleep with her to leave and put her back on a bus. But I felt like like that wasn't really that plot point or that idea wasn't really carried out throughout the rest of the film because he kind of dropped that and was just gung-ho about her coming along from that point forward she didn't want to go i actually just felt like it was a part of the movie that the director and producers kind of just missed out mm-hmm. on that kind of leading man womanizer kind of guy you know that hits real hard in the cinema people love that character mm-hmm. and i felt like they kind of just missed the boat with it Yeah, I thought it was very strange and it felt a bit out of place. Not because it was the way it was, but it just felt a little underdeveloped. But sorry, the original point I was getting to was Warren Beatty is a famous ladies man in real life. Like crazy. Mm -hmm. I read that before he was going to star in this, he had his sister Shirley MacLaine cast as Bonnie. And then when he decided to star in it, he's like, oh, can't do that now. Yeah. So that's when they got Faye Dunaway. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Before we wrap things up, would you guys recommend or not recommend? 100%. 100%. I'd recommend. I really enjoyed it, yeah. Me too. I give this one a big fat thumbs up. This is great. Anyone who's interested in just having a good time, I would say check this out. It's great. It's available on Amazon Prime a rental. It's like five bucks. Totally a great way to spend two yeah. hours of your time. I would agree. Yeah. I would recommend renting it, watching it once, and then never watching it again. Oh, I've seen it like four times. Yeah, I've seen it quite a few times. I would 100% watch this film again. Interesting. I've seen it the exact number of times that I need to watch it. (laughs) No, every Christmas, I go home to my family with some artsy film I really liked. Two years ago, it was La La Land. Last year, it was Parasite. And I would 100% bring this one next year and say like, hey, this is a cool piece of cinema that I really like. Let's, Let's check this out. Let's watch it again together. If you liked this, a movie to watch, Natural Born Killers. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I've never seen that one. Natural Born Killers is like the late 90s. It's got the same ethos as this. It's um, Woody Harrelson is the the psychopath, like Clyde, but like turned up to 11. And um, oh God, who's the, help me, Obi-Wan. Who's the- um, Carrie Fisher. Plays the woman, plays Mallory. He knew it. <laughs> hey, it was an odd pairing. All right, well, before we uh, we head out, we didn't do plugs last time. We should have. We have an Instagram now. It is managed by the lovely Sarah Alexander. It is called Popcorn Peeps Official. The Instagram will get better when COVID is gone and we can actually group up and... I guess. Yeah. I post photos of our little <laughs> meetings. <laughs> All right, follow me at It's Jordan Costa on Twitter. I post dank memes. They're fantastic. I also have a second YouTube channel called Anime Espresso. There isn't much content there, but I'm working on it. There should be new thoughts and opinions and reviews on everything anime and manga coming in the near future. Uh, actually, I, I do have one. I realize Chris McZero on Instagram. That's spelled out Z-E-R-O. Lots of pictures of cats and food and me because I'm, I'm a narcissist. Yeah. <laughs> Chris's Instagram is fire if you're not following it. 
Yeah. So out of the two movies we've watched, what is the ranking? One and two, Bonnie and Clyde <laughs> at the top. Seven Samurai at the bottom. Yeah. Right. Film snobs, don't at me. Yeah. I'm going to put Bonnie and Clyde at the top of my one item list. Things will heat up for you next week. Let's keep a global power ranking. We should. As we as we go through, we should definitely do that. Yeah. Seven Samurai is like negative 200. And... Uh, you, num- you said it was okay last time, but <laughs> now you're like, now I've seen a good movie. This movie. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Everything's relative. Can we shout out to the YouTube comment that we got on our last video? How insightful that was. Oh, from Josh. Josh with the fire YouTube comment. You're a film connoisseur. If I ever die, please take up my role as host of this show. Take it up anyway. <laughs> take it up anyway. <laughs> No, I feel like that really pushed us to step up our game this week. Jordan, I noticed that you were really cracking them out. I have two pages of notes this week. Wow. Can't have Josh showing us up two weeks in a row. (laughs) Yeah, we wouldn't want to disappoint our listener. (laughs) We have 108 views on our first video. I know, I'm blown away. And it's only half of them were Sarah trying to view bot really badly. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, until next time, I'm Jordan Costa. Have a wonderful time, and we will see you in episode three. See you. Bye. Bye.